Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Dot Differently. This is Rabbi Joel Roth of the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem and the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. Today we are studying Tubot Dot Nunhe, page 55. In the mission of which we studied yesterday, we saw that there was a dispute, a mechloket, between the sages and Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. The sages say that a woman divorced or widowed, either from the Erusin or the Nisuin stage of marriage, gets her whole ketubah, including any additional amount her husband has added to it. That is, she gets the Ikar ketubah and the Tosefet. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, on the other hand, says that she gets all of the ketubah, including the Tosefet, only if she is widowed or divorced from the Nisuin stage, that is, after she and her husband are living together as husband and wife. But if it happens during the Erusin stage, she gets the basic value, the Ikar ketubah, but not the additional. The Gemara on 55a, Nunheyamudalaf, six lines from the bottom, records a tradition that two later sages, Rabbi Natan and Rav, disagree over whether the law follows the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. But the Talmud says the tradition does not stipulate which of the two sages says that the law does follow the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, and which says that it does not. I read to you the classical way in which the Gemara says such a thing. Itmar has been said, Rav Rabbi Natan, Chal Amar Halachat Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, the Chal Amar In Halachat Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. There's a dispute between Rav and Rabbi Natan, one saying the law does follow the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, the other saying no. And now, what will now take place is that the Talmud will seek to figure out which one of those two sages would be likely to hold the view that the law follows Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And it does so in a way that is commonly invoked in the Talmud. What does that mean? It means that the Talmud analyzes what must be the underlying logical underpinning of the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, and then seeks to see if we can find evidence to determine which of the two later sages utilizes that same logical underpinning in some other case, and if we can, that would lead us to conclude that it must be that later sage 
who affirms that the law follows the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And so, the way the Talmud seeks to do this is by analyzing underlying uh, principles and seeing if we can therefore line up one of the later sages with the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. The passage itself is a bit complex, with certain facts implied but not stipulated explicitly. We will be able to look only at the beginning of the passage and not at the whole thing. Remember, we are doing that because our primary goal is to see how the logical process of derivation works in the Talmudic discourse. Allow me to read to you a little statement of the Gemara. The Gemara says, we can reach the logical conclusion that it is Rabbi Natan who holds that the law must follow the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Natan, because we have heard, learned about Rabbi Natan, that he follows, that he allows the law to follow a presumed status, the Amar Rabbi Natan, Halakha For Rabbi Natan said, the law follows Rabbi Shimon ben Shazuri in the case of a suddenly sick person. You immediately see that the Gemara gives very few details, and I therefore have to fill in those details in order for us to be able to understand what the Gemara is saying. The Gemara presumes, based on what the Mishnah itself says, that the underlying logic of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's view in the Mishnah is that most men, when they add value to the Ketubah beyond its minimal, legally mandated value, they do so on the umdana, on the assumption, on the evaluation that they intend for the additional amount to apply only once they actually begin living together as husband and wife. Hence, if the husband dies before they have nisuin, before they have entered that second stage of marriage, it would not have been his intention to give the extra amount under those circumstances. And this is so even though he did not verbally stipulate it when he gave the woman the ketubah. Now, in order to understand how the Gemara reaches its conclusion about uh, Rabbi Natan being the one who would agree with Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, I need to offer you some data from a Mishnah in Tractate Gitin and then relate it to what we have just said about the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. And this is all alluded to in the two lines that I read to you without being uh, clearly uh, stipulated. Here is what we need to understand based on that Mishnah in Gitin. Usually, if a man appoints agents to write a bill of divorce, a get, for his wife, he says to them, Kitvu utanu, write and deliver a get for me. The Mishnah in Gitin says, that if a man is about to embark 
on a dangerous boat or land journey and says to the agents, write again, kitvu, write, but doesn't say kitvu utenu, write and deliver, we nonetheless deliver it. In the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon Shazuri adds that we do the same in a case where a man suddenly became seriously ill. That is, we analyze what we think would be the underlying intent of the man who suddenly became seriously ill. It was his intent to liberate his wife by divorcing her and that this was his intent even though he did not say kitvu utenu, even though he did not say write and deliver the get. That is, the husband may wish to exempt his wife from the responsibility of the letter of marriage if they are childless by divorcing her prior to his dying so that she no longer is his wife and therefore she would be exempt from the requirement of evil. But now he became seriously ill and he only said to his agents, write the divorce. He didn't say write and deliver it. But Rabbi Shimon Shaturi says, we understand his underpinning and therefore we in fact deliver it even though he didn't tell them to do so. Remember, our Surya records a dispute between Rabbi Natan and Rav over whether the law follows the view of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. The Talmud then records that we should be able to deduce that it is Rabbi Natan who decides in favor of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah because we have a clear statement of Rabbi Natan that in the Gitin case, the law follows Rabbi Shimon Shazuri. That is, since Rabbi Natan agrees with the view of Rabbi Shimon Shazuri, which is based on reading a person's intent into his deeds, even if his words were not explicit, it would be logical that Rabbi Natan would agree with Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, whose view is also based on reading a person's intent into his deeds, even if his words were not explicit. I repeat, as I end for today, that the sukya has a lot more to it than we have just gone over. But what we have done demonstrates this common methodology by which the Talmud often clarifies, or at least seeks to clarify, who the author of a view is when it has not been stipulated that he is its author. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.